Hello, wonderful humans. Welcome back to the TFC Audio Project. On this episode of Shop Talk, Mike and I dig into the topic of mental training. We talk about the importance of having a mental training practice, different methods for mental training. We share some stories of our individual practices and how they've evolved over time. And we finish by talking about some really simple steps you can take to begin creating a daily mental training practice. Really enjoyed the conversation with Mike. You know, we both feel this is a super important topic to cover. And we hope that you find the information useful and applicable in your own life. This episode of the show is brought to you by our digital health community called Beam Tribe. The four letters used to spell the word BEAM stand for body, experience, awareness, and mind. And although the practice component of the platform is based on the Balance Beam training tool, it also has a theory section. And we've loaded that section with videos aimed to simplify health and provide you with a GPS to guide you along your health journey. If you visit beamtribe.com, We've made a bunch of the videos available for free, and if you want full access, you can officially join the tribe by purchasing a membership, which helps to support our content team so we can continue producing videos and so we can continue upgrading our recording equipment. This episode of the show is also brought to you by our family of partner brands listed at thefootcollective.com who have kindly offered discounts or free gifts to our community and also support TFC by helping to fund the development and hosting of TFC app. We've developed relationships over time with brands doing awesome work and who align with TFC on the mission to create products that are good for your health and good for the planet. If you check out thefolkcollective.com and click on the partner brands tab, you'll see a list of brands that offer you discounts and by purchasing using the links or codes, it helps keep TFC app free and evolving without ever having to load it with ads. Last but not least, this episode of the show is also brought to you by the Roasters Pack. If you're into coffee, this company has a great subscription service that delivers you fresh green, fresh beans but to your door each month, along with the story behind the craft roasters that the beans come from. If you check out theroasterspack.com and use the code FOOT at checkout, you'll get some bucks off your first month. That's it for sponsors, so let's dig in. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. Hello, wonderful humans. Nick and Mike here, back for another episode of Shop Talk. And today we're going to talk about mental training. So I think mental health awareness has increased in the past few years, mostly about the fact that there seems to be big problems that we need to solve in the world of mental health. But one thing that doesn't get much attention um, that that I've found, at least in my personal life, is that, you know, what does mental health actually mean and what we can do to build a stronger mind? So that's what we're going to talk about today. And one line that I heard Sam Harris said that I really like, is the quality of your mind determines the quality of your life and i very much found this to be true uh personally and you know i think how you think colors how you interpret the world and it can either work really heavily in your favor or really heavily against you and i think um maybe a good place to start is by defining mental health right just like the definition of health is very subjective and wishy-washy i think we need a better definition of what mental health is so that we can, you know, if you want to hit the target, you got to know what the target is. So what is, you know, in your opinion, what is mental health? Um, yeah, so I agree. I think one thing I'll say before that is that mental training is something that we need to consider just like physical training. Right. We'll get into that in a bit, but I think it's, we talk about it, but we're not necessarily doing things about it because it's, it's harder to see. If you go to the gym for a year and you start doing things, you might, see your body composure changing, but you won't, you won't actually see the benefits outwardly. If, um, well, that's debatable, but right. it, it's, it's more uh, ephemeral and harder to see. But mental health, I think 
I think when we talk about state of equanimity, that would be very in line with, uh, with what mental health is. So equanimity is basically a state of psychological stability and composure um, where somebody is undisturbed by uh, experience or exposure to other emotions, events, situations, um, and, and those don't cause them to kind of like lose balance of their mind. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of this like more even keeled space that we can go through where we're kind of experiencing things and not overreacting to things. And we're not in this state where we're ruminating on the past and fearful or um, really caught up with what's going to happen in the future. So I think a lot of mental health is just being okay right now and just feeling like we're not, we're kind of at ease with, with where we are and who we are right now. Right. Um, And that's, it's tough for a lot of people to, to reach that state and you'll feel these the better you get at some of the things we'll talk about today, the quicker you can pick up when you're feeling kind of agitated. You, there's this weird, you can feel when you're like, oh, I'm something's up right now and I'm not, I don't know what it is. I'm feeling uh, on edge. I'm feeling fearful, stressed, whatever it is. Uh, right. And you bring up a good point because the goal is to, to not never go there. It's not to never experience emotion. It's to detect when emotions no longer serve you well and to have more control over the intensity of those emotions so they don't overwhelm you. And when I looked up definitions of mental health, you know, a couple of definitions I came across was uh, a level of psychological well-being and the absence of mental illness. So that's, I mean, that's not a great definition because I think we've talked about this before about health in general. Health isn't just the absence of disease. It's the feeling of well-being. It's it's ease, right? Mental health is mental ease. And another definition was the state of someone who is functioning at a, satisfor- a satisfactory level, which satisfactory is a low-ass bar, but yeah. satisfactory level of emotional and behavioral adjustment, um, you know, emotional, psychological, and social well-being, which affects how we think and we act. And our mental health, determines how we handle stress relate to others make choices or even just view the world right so like it really is a powerful lens that we see everything in our experience through and so if that lens is one that's creating suffering because all suffering really is mental suffering right like even if you suffer you have people that can suffer the same injury one person can suffer hugely one person can suffer not very much and a lot of that is determined by the decision you've made on that thing that happened to you. So yeah, pain is only pain be, because of the essentially every, the experience of it. It's the experience right. that determines it. Um, any given stimulus is not necessarily going to cause somebody pain or either that either physical or mental pain. Yes. And one thing that you notice is that like, I think metal, mental health has been like medicalized, just like yeah. conventional health has been. So it's something where we have these awareness months, like mental health awareness and all of that. And like you say, it's almost this, like, it's great we're doing awareness, but where's the actual, I think then we, we then go back to the medical model where it's like, oh, I was diagnosed with depression. And, you know, right. sometimes I was, I go see a therapist, which is great, or I'm just given medication or whatever it is, but it's in like, I'm good or I'm not good. But everybody, every human in the world has to work on their mental health. I don't even care. I don't care who you are. Everybody should be working on it. Yeah. And so today we want to demystify what that actually means because that's that's great to say. And I agree wholeheartedly, but most people are just like, well, I don't what what is that? I don't know how to do that. And I think, yeah, mental health awareness has turned into this comfort of showing people your badge of diagnosis. It's like, oh, yeah, I have anxiety and I'm okay with saying that I have that. Yeah. Okay. 
what but are you working to get rid of it yeah because if you're not then what the hell's the point of awareness without action that's actually kind of almost detrimental to once we go that diagnostic route where now it's it's almost like end the stigma right that's kind of the messaging that we're getting and right. the stigma of how about end health. the problem yeah so, <laughs> so it's that is fine and, and there i don't even think there's a problem with this I don't even think that's the problem at all. Like no, who is going neither. out there and like stigmatizing people with mental maybe, but I don't think people are, it's not a stigma. Well, thing. it's a self-imposed stigma. People are, people think that it shows weakness if you yeah, have mental health problems. True. So it's not a, you're right. No one's out there teasing how you have depression. It's yeah. like, you're just, it's a self-imposed perception that you will be looked at negatively if you have mental health problems. And I guess people don't want to go out and be open Which is part of it. the mental health problem. <laughs> but I guess, yeah, the whole conversation is like, let's just shed some light on it. And so we can um, not be ashamed to come out and ask for help and right. and like be be able to talk about it with our friends, right? So because it's this hidden thing. So maybe that, I, and like, that's more what they mean about it. But again, it's, Here's what we can do about it. That needs to be the next step in that. And I think an, another really good um, sort of definition that I found was mental resilience. And resilience in and of itself is just the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. That's what resilience is. And I think when we talk about like mental or, or psychological resilience, it's the ability to mentally or emotionally cope with a crisis or return to the pre-crisis state in a fairly quick manner. Yeah. And I think this is very relevant right now because the people who are mentally have a, a, a kind of a stored up capacity for mental resilience are the people who are doing the best right now in the middle. You know, it's May 20, 25th. It's still we're still in this quote unquote pandemic. Um, and so you see people who are not dealing with it well and people who are dealing with it very well. And I think a lot of that is mental resilience where they've developed sort of this f- sense of fitness of their mental health. They have a mental health practice or they, they have a certain way of seeing the world in a way that makes them very, it makes them kind of invincible to, to shit that happens. It still happens yeah. to them. The shit still happens to them, but they just have a completely different way of dealing with it. And they can get back on track quicker. And a lot of people right. who are like, even at the highest level of mental resilience or mental health still will go out of that state for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can like, observe it and bounce back and and then if you get back to that like equanimity that state of just like composure stability um where we're just kind of more even keeled and that's in any given situation but it's it's like on a micro level and also a macro level so you're going through periods of time and you're like okay well assessing like what can i do about this situation or like am i what can i do right now what are what are the biggest things i can do to help my my composure and and kind of reach a state where i'm more at that peace Mm-hmm. It's just that like peace of mind is a big part of uh, this whole thing. Yeah. Right? Being free from suffering. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, a mental health practice, when you say a mental health practice, I think, I think once again, people think to meditation, but I think there's a lot of different methods that you can implement yeah. at, as part of a mental health practice, which is not, they're not all like actually things you physically do some of them are things like positive thinking is part of a mental health practice is trying to look for the positive in things that happen to you yeah um and it's like a muscle the more you work that muscle the easier it is to find the positive and not go to the negative because when you are in an unhealthy mental state you tend to always look for the negative that it's kind of like what we're evolved to do right if you're disconnected from the tribe you're supposed to be way more vigilant to danger and think of things as way more threatening because 
you, you're not connected to the tribe. And that's the indicator to kind of reconnect with the tribe. And yeah. we treat mental health problems palliatively, palliatively, like we treat everything else. We deal with the symptoms and we do nothing to address the cause. Mostly, I think, because it's we don't understand the cause. A, a lot of people treating this as a diagnosis, as a disease X, is like, well, we can just treat it by fixing the neurochemical problem. But it's like, well, what's causing the neurochemical problem? So couple of things I want to know. There's there's one little analogy that Daniel Amen uses and it and it's uh kill the ants and their automatic negative thoughts. So so basically um yeah, a lot of people have these just automatic negative thoughts going all day and you have to start smushing them and uh right. and start once you start doing that and maybe replacing them with more even keeled or positive thoughts then that can work. Hmm. The other thing is that everybody's situation is so different that um, like the cause is your, it's what is your cause, right? So it's, it's specific to you. And there's, there's a few different ways of, of looking at it. You can look at like getting to the, the, you can, you can hit two roads at once. You can try to uncover the deep, deep, deep root causes of where this might coming from, be coming from. And some of that might be the way you were uh, brought up, your childhood trauma, suffering, and all of that. And that's a that's like a lifelong kind of endeavor too, or you can start to go go down. People work with therapists and things like that, and they're they're undercovering all these things, like oh, what was the relationship with you, you know, so and so. But then there's the what can you do about it right now, regardless of that, mm-hmm. and can you work on both at the same time? And that's kind of where can you can you start finding. Um, it's more of like a, a Buddhist approach where they would just say, let's just get your mind under control right now and let's just start training your mind essentially mm-hmm. uh, better. So you can you can find that uh, kind of, you know, that, that space, that even-keeled space and, and start training yourself um, regardless of what the root causes are and, and, and you can start working on that too. But again, I, think, I don't think we'll go too deep into like the that side of things will go into more of the training and and that's where we'll yeah like actionable things and i think a mental health practice includes movement right because movement you if you move during the day that is a huge boost to your mental health right like i think uh i heard a podcast with a guy who wrote a book about walking he said statistically on paper the two best things you can do to avoid depression and anxiety is go for several walks a day and sleep and yeah. the walk part is the movement part. You need yeah. movement for optimal mental health. And I think the goal of a mental health practice is not to patch up a problem after it's developed. It's to develop a capacity, a reserve capacity so that when problems do come up, which they are going to, life is full of problems. Mm-hmm. How you deal with them is more determines whether you deal with them in a healthy way or not. Um, but it's to build up reserve capacity so that when the shit hits the fan, you're you're ready for it. Exactly. And I think the attitude we have now is, oh, geez, you have anxiety or you're depressed. Well, you need to work on your mental health. It's like, actually, you need to work on it every day so that you don't get anxious and depressed so that you can acknowledge those feelings and troubleshoot them effectively. Yeah, exactly. So um, do you want to get into uh, some of these some of these methods and maybe we can start with some of the bigger ones? Well, let's compare physical training and mental training, because I think that starts that gets us kind of like understanding how how is this missed right like we talk about physical training we have phys ed in in high school um you go to the doctor and you're overweight and the doctor will say you need to move you need to you need to exercise more right you need to improve your fitness so we know we understand physical training if i go and lift weights i get stronger if i Mm -hmm. run i can increase my cardio capacity but you know 
especially with that first statement, the quality of your mind determines your life. We don't take the same approach to mental training, right? Mm -hmm. Physical training is not, does not have a parallel of mental training in terms of its kind of cultural awareness, but it's the exact same, right? And, and in fact, being able to prioritize and direct your attention and control your mind to avoid getting stuck in emotions is way more important than physical training. They're both important, but yeah, something like it's just kind of this big blind spot we don't talk about it and it's not like you know doctors don't prescribe it we don't cover it as something in high school um even though those are the bigger problems now so it's like we need to take the same approach we do to physical training to mental training we know that if you don't do physical training if you're not if you don't move your body breaks down you get weak you get stiff you lose the capacity to move if you ever had to move and the same thing happens with mental health. If you don't work on it, then you start to lose mental resilience. So these should be some of the questions that that um, you get or suggestions or like you should, if you go to a doctor and you're anxious or depressed, um, you should be asked, what is your mental training um, practice, practice look like? Yeah. What does it look like? Do you, do you currently have one? If the answer is no, okay, then that's when we can step in and start to, to help with that. Um, but it should be, yeah, like you say, so common of a thing that we should think about that. It's like, if you're, you know, overweight and, and unhealthy, I mean, we, we got to ask, we just are asking, well, what's your diet look like? What's your movement practice look like? Like, exactly. what, is your, what does the rest of your life look like? Cause that's, what's contributing to that. Um, so yeah, uh, it's the same. Yeah. So let's talk about some methods. Cause there's, you know, there's a lot of different methods and I'll spit off a few that I had written down and then we can kind of dig into uh, individual ones. Um, you know, I had, meditate and i know we chatted before we've got a lot of the similar ones but meditation mindfulness uh beam training which is really just focus training uh cold exposure positive thinking reframing these are all methods that you can implement as part of a mental health practice and you know it's kind of like anything else where you you dedicate you can dedicate time to practice you can dedicate time in your day to sit down and meditate but the goal is for that practice to trickle into your whole life so that you're implementing the tools that you're sharpening during dedicated practice time to then apply them to your life, right? Like positive thinking is not something you don't necessarily have to sit down for 10 minutes and just think, how do I think positively? Like it's something you have to pr- be intentional with every single day, every decision, every thought. Well, that if you want to take it, if you want to go fully down that road, then all of life if you turn all of life into that mental health practice, <laughs> yeah, true. that's, well, that's what a lot of um, like traditional, um, you know, people's views are on this. They call it like turn your life into your, your yoga or like your practice. So yep. like if you go into an interview, like you want to be, or if you want to have any interaction with anybody in the world, you can turn it into this like present moment thing where you're, you're seeing like, how am I, if you get nervous, you can like see that happening in real time. And that like, that's the practice in and of itself. Can you calm yourself down in real time as something's going off, off uh, kilter in this interaction you're having or whatever, mm-hmm. that's it. It's, it's not getting lost in it within the thing. Cause then you're in that might've, and it might not, you might not be able to do it in real time, but it might start with like, after the fact, you might get out of a situation and you might feel yourself like for like an hour after being in a really agitated state. And then you finally realize, oh, it was because of that. I did, I hated that interaction. Right. Or, but that might last at the start. It might last a full day or a full week. Even if you have this terrible argument with somebody, you might ruin your whole week. But what if you can catch yourself in real time in the thing? Or what if it only lasts an hour or, or 10 minutes? So that's where it starts to happen. Right. Um, yeah, I think not getting stuck 
in uh, negative emotions is a superpower. Like you yeah. still get angry, you still get sad, you still get frustrated. But instead of being stuck in that emotion for a day or an hour or a week, you literally just can exit the the Ferris wheel, being stuck mm-hmm. on the Ferris on the hamster wheel of that negative emotion by understand by basically having conversations with yourself to understand what triggered that negative emotion and is that emotion serving is it still serving me yeah because it serves you initially as a signal as a piece of feedback but it reaches a point where if you dwell in that emotion if you're angry all day and it messes up all of the rest of your interactions it puts you in this negative spiral and that can be essentially stopped right away by just acknowledging and processing and reflecting on why you're feeling like that Mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll get into it, but introspection, like you said, is just being able to feel yeah, and your like, state. I mean, if you look at the definition of a term like meditation, the, the the actual practice is different from the definition of it. And meditation is to engage in contemplation or reflection. Hmm. And then like it's like to meditate on something means to like think about it or contemplate or, or just be, yeah, like analyzing it. Um, so So that would be, that's interesting because like the actual practice of it comes in different forms and it's actually quite hard to, to define. Um, and there's different ways of looking at it, but I think meditation is one of the initial, these big tools that we can use and you can have meditation. I think it's like a global tool that we can have and we can use different forms of it. And then it kind of spirals out into all like your, the cold exposure you do might be a component of your meditation, right? Or your, your movement practice might be a component of your meditation. But um, meditation as a whole, I think, is a is one of these key elements to this mental training that we talk about. And the problem is, first of all, I just listed off a definition. It's really hard to, um, I think, another looking at a deeper meditation is a practice at its core. Mm-hmm. So, so meditation. When we and what is at, a practice? What's your if someone says what's a practice? Something what? you something you practice and something you do over time. So, if I practice anything, like if I pick up a new skill, you could look at it as a skill, even. But, but it's just like the practice of doing something to to uh, engage in it and and improve with it over time. Um, my movement practice is something that I would go in and and try to specifically. Um, get engulfed in it and, and, and be engaged with it. That's the practice of moving or, or your, some people's yoga practices or whatever it might be. Cause it can like practice is both a verb. Like if I'm practicing a skill, I'm, I'm working mm. actively to improve a skill, but I think practice is also a noun, right? Yeah. My yoga practice, practice my, of. my mental health practice is like a thing that you're describing. And you know, to me, a practice has two primary components of the practice is consistency. So something you do, you don't just practice like, if you have a practice, you're not doing it once a month. You're doing it yeah. like every day. Um, and then the second one is finding a sense of purpose, right? Like a sustainable practice requires you to feel a deep sense of meaning or purpose in what you're doing. So if people don't know the benefits of a mental health practice, then they have, and they don't even know what that means, then how the hell are they going to be able to establish one? So, and, mm-hmm. and you know, that's, you know, the hope is by the end of this podcast, we can, people have a better definition for mental health for what a mental health practice is and have some basic tools that they can start to play around with and experiment with and see if it works in their lives. So yeah, I think um, practice is powerful. You could look at meditation as like the practice of, of, of trying to get a better understanding, uh, uh, and getting better awareness and getting better, uh, 
basically better control on how your mind works, looking into how your own mind works and kind of figuring out how your mind works. Yeah, and I always think of be, it as like time spent getting to know yourself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, looking at the kind of workings of your mind and like what's going on in there. And and that would be, and then like part of that would be like the emotional half-life concept that you talked about is like how long are these emotions lasting but that's all part of the meditation is like I can notice that quicker and because I'm practicing the the act of looking into my mind and it's the act of like being very uh yeah you have to go in and you you can't be I think a lot of times it's the act of being um undistracted and and a lot of it is like the act of being aware focused and get and putting attention Putting attention onto something, I think, would be a component of a practice. Yep. Can I can I be really in it? Can I be involved with it? Um, and it is really attention training at its core too. Meditation, and we live in a society where our minds are all over the place because there's so much stimuli coming at us at all times. So it's getting harder and harder to attend to things, and and just attending to your own mind and the workings of it is really the key. Yeah, and I think that a subcomponent of building a good capacity to meditate is actually focus training because like you said we're like our attention spans are so fragmented these days because attention is a commodity so every single app on your phone has a profit incentive to steal your attention because the more it steals your attention the more profit it makes like mm-hmm. literally so i think you know i was talking to someone the other day and they kind of said like well why should i balance on a beam and the biggest thing i said was it helps you reclaim your concentration because if you can't focus on something deeply for a certain period of time, it's really hard to meditate because meditation has a subcomponent of concentration. If you can't focus on something, then how are you going to have a meaningful conversation with someone? If you can't even pay attention to what they're saying, how are you going to read a book? How are you going to do some sort of meaningful work if you can't even focus? And Frank Forensich has a good term. He calls it attentional density. So like mm-hmm. the we've lost our ability to increase the attentional density on one task right we have this attention which is like let's say it's a ball and we have a little piece of this ball spread over multiple different things right dings on our phone or looking at something outside or looking at the tv or listening to music or a podcast like there's so many things and the ability to focus our attentional density on one single thing and eliminate background noise and focus on one thing that's really hard for some people and i think for most people yeah and i think when they sit down and start meditating they realize how poor they are at focusing Mm-hmm. And that plays into this negative emotion of this is really hard. I don't like this. I suck at this. When in reality, there's actually no wrong way. <laughs> so meditation. Yeah. So I think getting into the nuts and bolts of it, it, it means different things for different people. Um, there's different definitions of it. Um, like some of the key components we listed. So attention training, focusing your mind on something um, and, and being like you having a mental sit down practice where you look at the inner workings of your mind and all of that. But at its core, it can start with, I think there's training tools or, or like training wheels that you can use um, to help you. And you can, they can actually serve your meditation practice. Well, mm-hmm. there's also just the act of like sitting down and just like seeing it all come in and like, meditation at its core would just be spending some time with your own mind um, and and just trying to give it the attention, uh, give it attention for some period of time Mm -hmm. and just to see how it's working, like see the inner workings of it. And that can be the, the emotions that are coming up, the thoughts that are going, coming and going and then passing through the recurring thoughts, the, the, 
the things that ruminating the ruminations that were that keep coming up of our past the the things we're thinking about that we need to do in our future as mundane as they might be it might be the whole time you're thinking of the the little tasks you need to do at the grocery store later that day right. that might be like the whole meditation period that day one um, but I think the the actual act of of giving it a chance to actually sit down and see yeah. what's going on that's it because I think a lot of people and myself included at the start, which is why it was so hard to develop a daily practice is I had this perception that meditation was not having thoughts mm -hmm. and I couldn't stop thoughts from coming into my brain. So I, I, it was like this self deprecating thing where it's like, why the hell can I just have no thoughts? And it wasn't until I realized that like the point of meditation is not to not have thoughts is to observe the thoughts non-judgmentally. It's to yeah. not tell yourself oh shit, I just thought of something that I should, I just thought of something work related when I shouldn't be, I should be meditating right now. I shouldn't be thinking of that. It's like, it was like a mental fight for me initially. And the negative emotion that came from these daily mental battles of attempting to meditate made me not want to meditate. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was like, okay, I'm basically processing these thoughts. The thoughts that come up are very important. It's like, I got this long ass inbox of emails that have never been answered. And now I'm sitting down and not thinking of anything else. And now the emails are starting to process. Mm -hmm. And eventually you run, the inbox runs out. So you process these thoughts, you observe them. The analogy, I, the imagery that I have is I'm sitting on the river, on a riverbank and thoughts that come in are like water passing by and you just let them go. You just watch it. It passes by you. And then the next one comes and, yeah. and they might, some days you might get a shitload of them. If you can kind of steer yourself back to something like the the breath, which we should get into, yeah, like that. That's why the breath is so connected with uh, meditation and and uh, and being mindful. We can get into mindfulness, but um, if you have something like that to kind of be like, okay, here's the catching yourself. Here's the thoughts coming in, come out. Steer yourself back to something like your breath and just feeling it and all of that. It's like an anchor. That's kind of that that anchor, so that you can just be. And that's not the goal. And I hear so many people say that is like, I, oh, I, I tried it, but it, like I was not good at it. It's right. like, that's what, well, that's why you're doing it. If you were good at it, you wouldn't need <laughs> to do it. That's the point. Um, so that's called yeah. practice. No, exactly. So, so that it can be, I guess, frustrating is what you're saying for a lot of people at first, but it, it shouldn't be. And I also noticed that like, it's a good indication of, of the overall state of my mind too. Once you get into the practice long enough, you can actually... Um, use it as a like some days you can notice that I'm actually better at letting the thoughts just kind of come and go and then I'm finding more and more space in between these thoughts and everything's going well right and then like maybe you know a few weeks later for some reason you, there's a, p a few days in a row where it's almost like you're a beginner again and there's all and it's like oh and then that's just kind of ma it makes you look uh, on a more meta level like that's interesting my meditation practice is telling me that something is kind of making yeah. me more anxious in my life right now um, so it's almost a good like indicator tool that you can choose from. And if once you get a baseline um, for where you're at and that baseline should overall be, you know, you'd think it would be improving over time if you can, you're consistent with the practice, but you, you start to get a baseline for like what it's like to be in a nice, even keeled state. Yep. I agree. You, you, you're right. The baseline is like, okay, on average, if I've done this for 60 days, I have a yeah. good idea of what, you know, a good meditation session is. Yeah. And I think you know, part of the, they're all good by the way, but they're all good. Exactly. And it's so, I mean, one thing for me was, okay, initially we know that behaviors are reinforced by positive emotions. It's not by reps. It's by positive emotions. Those are the things that make you want to do those behaviors again. And the negative emotion of feeling like I couldn't meditate 
based on my old definition, eventually got superseded by the the positive emotion that it doesn't matter what actually happens in the session. Showing up for the session every day is progress. Yeah. Progress is not, like you said, some days you'll have, there'll be a tough session where you have a lot of thoughts coming in or you have this sense of uh, uneasiness because of something going on and leaning into that and encountering it is really uncomfortable sometimes. But the fact that you showed up to do it is actually what you should base your positive emotion on because that's progress in meditation is the act of showing up every day to do it. It is not what happens inside the session necessarily. It's the fact that you're being Mm -hmm. consistent. What I've noticed too is that beyond that is like the overall thing exactly is like you showed up and did it. But I find that you often come out certain amount of percentage points. Sometimes it's a vast amount of percentage points uh, calmer and in a state where like you're even if let's say it's like one percent calmer after the thing, after you did this practice, um, that's worth it too. So you can notice that. And part of that is if you link that breath work, like you can really harness the effects of the physiology of the breathing that you're doing. And if you keep that breath going at a nice, consistent, slow pace, that alone is actually going to downregulate your whole system. You're actually just like overriding your your physiology by the breathing that you're doing. And that's just part of the practice. It's not even the full practice, but that alone will calm you down. And then then it's it's all worth it in the end, too. And then you can use that tool if you have a really stressful interaction or you know you're about to have one. Yeah. If you've trained that tool, if you sharpen that spear during your meditation practices, then that spear is sharpened and ready to be used. If you're about to go into a really intense meeting, you know, okay, I'm going to take five deep breaths yeah, and it's going to calm me down. It's going to put me in a better state so that I can improve the way that I deal with these conversations I'm about to have, which might be very challenging. And sometimes you realize like I was actually putting a lot of stress on myself for what I thought this conversation was going to be. And it Mm -hmm. didn't even end up being that. And just examining that process and realizing that wasn't as bad as I thought it was lets you take that same understanding to the next conversation to be like, it's not actually going to be that bad because what I thought was going to be really bad didn't end up being bad at all. And calming myself down before probably played a significant impact into just changing the energy of the interaction that I just had. Exactly. So powerful. You can almost look at it as like um, little, you can do your meditation practice, but you can also do these little, like what happens in a, in a, like, what do you, in sports, you take a timeout. Well, like, what's a timeout for? It's like a, a regroup. So yeah. if, if everything's haywire and going crazy, chaos in the game, and losing composure is all the same kind of analogy. Is like when your life's losing composure, you want to find composure again because you're going to perform at your best. You're going to feel your best with composure. So if you can take a timeout, then you can just kind of sit back and be like, okay, what's going on here? And just that minute, two minutes, five minutes can be enough to just like, put it back on track, right? Yeah. And it helps you actually detect when sometimes you got to give yourself a friggin' timeout. Yeah. Like, yeah. and I, I think meditation helps you number one, make good use of that timeout time. But number two, it actually improves your ability to detect when you need a timeout. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like at the timeout analogy. So you can, uh, your, you know, your meditation practice can be a, an, a, a similar thing each day. I like to start it in the morning, for instance, if we're talking about how it actually do it. Um, and I actually got more and more into it. Um, funny enough, my meditation has improved vastly in this time of like COVID-19 actually, mm-hmm. um, because it just, you know, no excuses, but once you do it enough, then you, then you're good. And if you can start your day and get to a state, I know it, it's, if you can start your, your day, um, in that even healed state, 
And you get better at detecting when you've stripped away that the unease um, that you might have been carrying before. Sometimes you wake up with uneasiness. You yeah. just you just like get out of bed and you start your day, and then and for some reason you're just not at ease that day. It's crazy. So then, <laughs> if you can start your day at least and and figure out and you can detect that oh like my body I'm not at ease right now something's going I might not know why I'm not at ease mm-hmm. but if I can get myself a little bit more at ease then go about my day the day is generally going to be better and then you can take these timeouts if you want I agree and it's almost like meditation is the detective work to find out why am I not at ease and how do I kind of process that so that I don't carry it with me for the rest of the day because mm-hmm. I think yeah. People just think it's about not being emotional, but it's actually not that at all. It's more just detecting and controlling emotions. So it's actually being more emotionally intelligent. Yeah. So so emotional intelligence is actually being able to uh, regulate your emotions, be empathetic to other people's emotions, and actually have a really good emotional life as opposed to being consumed by your emotions and actually... Uh, let off course by our emotions and disrupted by our emotions. So a lot of people who we consider emotional are actually uh, need to work on, and you can improve. It sounds like uh, you, you can improve your emotional intelligence through meditation. Right. Simple as that. And when you become more mindful and intelligent to your own emotions, you immediately become better at understanding, detecting, and just being empathetic to other people's emotions, right? If yeah. you don't even know how to detect emotions in yourself, you're yeah. going to suck with detecting them in other people and understanding how to interact with them. But when you get better at understanding yourself, you immediately get better at understanding others, which completely changes the dynamic of your life in every interaction you have. Because you can stay cool in a lot of situations um, and you can keep like emotionally, uh, like just emotionally level uh, yep. when you understand that it's not a personal thing in a lot of situations. And a lot of people are just um, going about their day and maybe they're, they're in a bad, like I know when I'm, agitated i maybe i didn't sleep well or i had a few drinks the night before or whatever and i go about my day the next day i'm probably going to be a slightly shittier human being to other people <laughs> yeah. and and it's not that i'm and then people might take that and they might take that into themselves like internally and internalize that and be like oh they take it personally right and it's actually unfair because it's actually me being in a bad state that's affecting other people from that from them point on right if i'm in a good state and i can be aware of that then when other people come into my world and they are in this weird state and they're thrown you know, saying stuff at you or acting kind of weird or shitty, uh, I can be like, okay, like they might just be in a weird state. I'm not yep. going to take this personally. I'm exactly. just going to keep a nice even keel. And you know what? A lot of the times they'll actually come around when they sense that you're in a more even keeled state because yeah, they what mirror happens, you. Exactly. If, if you're going around your day, a lot of people will actually get trapped in the emotions of people who are going around like that. So an anxious person goes around or somebody who's rude or whatever, and they get rudeness back. They get anxiety back. They get stress back. Uh, but if you can throw them back nice, peace, calm, um, equanimity, if you can throw them back like kindness, uh, kindness and just, just, you know, they'll actually drop to your level. That's that like emotional dominance piece where you want them to drop to your level where you're more even keeled, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to go to their level if it's not a nice place to be right now. Exactly. And you and it allows you to be more understanding because knowing when being able to detect when you're there and feeling like, okay, I'm there for a reason allows you to be like, okay, that person that's really nasty and mean, it's not their fault. No. Something happened to them. Maybe it was like Maybe it's a whole slew of things. Maybe it's a whole slew of things. Maybe their spouse just died or they just got fired. Like you never know. And I think if you, like you said, people will mirror whatever you throw at them. So if you escalate the intensity of the negative emotions by, by essentially mirroring it back at them, 
yeah then it's, it's just gonna it. it's just gonna reinforce it and it just creates a shitstorm. but if you immediately cut through the negativity and are just know that okay i'm not gonna take this personally the person the person's not mad at you mm-hmm. they're just mad at something in their life most of the time yeah. they're mad at themselves and so if you just allow you know give space for them to express those negative emotions but don't don't put any more fuel into the fire and in fact be a force for calm people always like we're we're not we never exist in isolation we always mirror the same kind of emotions the same kind of movements the same tone as the people we're talking to and so you can either choose to be a force for kindness and calmness or you can be a force for um the opposite which i think no one wants to have negative emotions of right. just like the state of people's people state states are affected by every interaction they have. Right. Yeah. It's very powerful because, and that's why they say like, once you, you can detect a negative person in a room, like you, you can be a group of friends and once somebody like a buzzkill comes over and everyone, <laughs> it can actually Killington. room. Yeah, exactly. Like it can ruin the, the vibe of the whole, there could be six people and one person is, is slightly negative and it's like, Oh like yeah. Kind the of bad good. apple. Yeah. Um, but so that's meditation. Meditation. So closely linked to that, I just want to touch on like mindfulness. Yeah. So like mindfulness and and you, it can be considered like one type of meditation, like mindfulness meditation has become very popular recently. Uh, but it's basically this psychological process of purposely bringing one's attention to experiences occurring in the present um, without judgment. So it's just kind of like experiencing, the experiencing uh, self and, and just like, what's happening right now, not judging, observing. It's being like this watch watcher, this observer, and um, and really just being very open and accepting to everything that's currently happening and all the thoughts that are currently happening, all the emotions that are currently happening. It's essentially like, I want to say like a detachment process, but you're you're it's like a meta process where you're looking at yourself from above and being like, oh, look at this. Interesting. I'm thinking this and da-da. Look at these thoughts. Oh, there's the, I can hear the wind. I can hear the, mm-hmm. oh, that's like an interesting smell. Or, and you're just kind of sensing, perceiving. It's just you're experiencing self. You're letting your senses do their work. Yeah, you're just tuning in to, yeah. the, to the right now. Because, you know, we know anxiety is fretting over the future. Depression is often dwelling on the past or things mm-hmm. that have happened before. And the present moment really isn't, doesn't have anything to contain dis-ease unless you're doing something negative in the moment. But for the most part, it's like, if you just appreciate how good shit is, yeah, right. And I think another tool for ment for um, in a mental health practice, I think a lot of these words kind of get um, become buzzwords and get kind of overused to the point where they lose their meaning, like meditation, uh, mindfulness, gratitude. But I think being grateful for how good things are, right? Because there's people that have a ter- are under terrible circumstances. And there's still someone way worse off. Mm-hmm. And if you have your needs met and you're alive, it is instantly a good thing. Yeah, right. And I think, state. and if you can be grateful, that's essentially a way to create positive emotions for an appreciation for the present moment. I think, I think just appreciating, like i started doing this thing where before I have a cup of coffee every morning before the, before I drink it, I just say five things out loud. There's not usually anyone in the house five things out loud that I'm grateful for. And it could be small things like literally clean water, right? Mm-hmm. Or the coffee beans that you just that you just prepared. Like someone went through the effort to grab those yeah. and harvest them or just like your health or your ability to breathe clean air. Like there's so many things. And I think it's just a good exercise 
to make you see all the things that we just take for granted and don't really appreciate. And that instantly makes you feel better about your life. Oh, yeah. Like the first sip of coffee even could be something that you're you just note that. Like I've had when you when you have a good cup of coffee, you can just be like, mm, that's so tasty. And right. like, just like, <laughs> wow. Yeah, <laughs> and that start, that's a good way to start your day. But oftentimes we're just chugging it down, thinking about the meeting that we need to get to or whatever yeah. it is. Or like, what time uh, is it? Oh, I'm going to be late. It's like, just take a sec. Yeah. Or wake up five minutes earlier so that you can take five minutes. Like people often say, I don't have time. That's the biggest shit. That's a shitty excuse. Yeah. Like you have the same amount of time of, as anyone else. I don't think people realize where they're spending their time. No, yeah. And that's where this mindfulness piece comes in. Like, do you actually acknowledge where you're spending your attention? Where is your time going? Because if you, if you got up 30 minutes earlier, you could get all the shit done that you claim is important, right? You claim you value health, yet you do nothing in your day as a practice to work on your health. So yeah. where's the incongruency? Are you realizing that that's possible? You can wake up a bit earlier. You can do some sort of breathing and meditation and movement practice. It could be very simple. It could be 10 minutes, but it, you, things that you prioritize, you make time for. And the meditation and mental health training, uh, part of that whole thing is it will help you get out of the autopilot mode that you're often stuck in. Mm -hmm. The reason that you're doing the same thing, like you say, and not prioritizing health, it might be you're just stuck in autopilot and you're never actually aware. Like awareness uh, is really that key element there of like... You're distracted all the time. Yeah. So you're just running the same programs day after day, even though you like you kind of sometimes say that you want to change things or you know that you should change things somewhere inside, but you never do it because... Yeah, if you're never changing the programs that you're running, you're not going to expect a different, you can't expect a different result out of that. Right. So at this time where you're just meditating, finding that ease, then you can be a place where you can go about your day and maybe you're, you're a bit better at, um, at just kind of uh, manifesting some better actions and behaviors and things like that because you've just timed out and be like, okay, like, you know, how would this be a better day? Like, w would it be a better day? Like, I'm going to do something that I, know that I that kind of breaks my normal habit habit uh, habits of the day, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna do this right now because I sat down and actually thought about it instead of just do dove into my day, uh, and that like you going for a, a ten minute run or something because you thought about it in your meditation practice could like spiral into to these bigger bigger habits over time. Mm -hmm. Break break that uh, break that day to day mundaneness and uh, and then just kind of go about creating the, a better day that uh, according to that that afterwards. I agree. I think, I think, um, two things that are very, I think, tightly tied together, um, that are a powerful element of a daily mental health practice in the sense that it's more just part of your day, part of your, the fabric of your daily thinking, not necessarily something you have to take specific time to do. Like a, for example, meditation practice where you're sitting intentionally to do, to, to just spend time with your thoughts. Mm -hmm. Two things are reframing and positive thinking. And I yeah. think a really, uh, interesting, kind of idea or concept is the fact that every single thing that happens to you, every circumstance, every event, every interaction that happens to you is not, is neutral, which means it's not good and it's not bad until you place a judgment on it mm -hmm. and being better at, at reflecting on those judgments. Like before you say, Oh, this is really shitty. I can't believe this happened. This sucks. Before you go down that route of thinking, trying to always find a good thing to think of instead of initially going for the bad. Like I'll give an example. I was away 
went on a trip. It was during winter. A massive chunk of ice fell off the house and smashed my car and essentially dented the shit out of the ceiling. Um, and I got home and it was, you know, it was cold. I had just traveled and I was like, great. Now a massive chunk of ice hit my car. Now that's another thing to deal with. Yeah. But instead of thinking that it was bad, you know, I've been trying to flex this positive thinking muscle every single, like radically, even if I don't really believe it initially, I just try it. And initially I could have thought, oh, this is terrible. Another bad thing to, to add to the list. But I was like, it didn't smash my window. So I can still drive yeah. my car and just reframing like that could have the thing hitting my car could have been really bad, but it, I, or it can be good. Mm -hmm. And it's neither until I place my judgment on it. So how you view things, the lens you look things through, if you look at life through a positive lens instead of a negative lens, it literally changes your life for sure. And then like taking that even a step deeper is like combine that with, with like, just look at it for like what it is. And like a lot of these practices, um, like ancient, like Buddhist practices, they're trying to get away from like this judgment of either good or bad. Like we like to judge things. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just like the ice fell on my car. Like that's, that's what happened. Yeah. Like that's a frozen piece of water. It's not, hit I'm not the judging metal. it. Or like you can go around your day judging things, events, um, objects, people as good or bad all the time. Or you can just be like, that's, those are the things out there. That's what it is. And that's reality. And, and then the more it's just like, it's just more that even keeled place too. But I agree. Like you can look at the silver lining in a lot of situations yeah. and, and that can, that can help. There's always silver lining in every situation. Because we all talk about like, how do you manage stress? Okay. Yeah. We need to get better at managing stress. And it's kind of like the, the concept of managing symptoms. It's like, oh, we need to manage symptoms. Well, actually, why don't we just get rid of the symptoms? So we don't have to manage the shit. Let's just get rid of the shit. And with stress, I think it's very similar where instead of managing stress, it's reframing to eliminate stress. Because by thinking uh, yeah. that it didn't break my car window, I actually didn't even have to manage the stress of my car getting hit because there was no stress, right? So it's I think reframing it's, allows us to take exactly. circumstances and not even let them become a stressor. And I think that's that is story change, that's right? way more powerful than managing the stress is not even creating the circumstances for the stress to manifest. That's I was listening to Brian McKenzie on a, on his recent podcast with um, Dr. Chatterjee. And he oh, yeah, saying, that one's I got to I downloaded that. I got a story to that he's like, I want people to dive into the stress like it's the stress is just the perception that it's stressful. But if you change your story about it, it's no longer um, like me going into ice water, I could perceive it like my body perceives it as, as stressful, but, um, like there's things that are actually quote unquote stressful. I should be able to dive into it and be able to, um, be okay with that because I'm prepared for that. And it's really, my body's meant to be like naturally as, as biological organisms, as animals we're we're meant to be able to handle and deal with a lot of stress, yeah. but our stories of what stress is, have that's how we really, adapt. Exactly. So it's like the story of it. If you perceive something to be stressful and then by the same token, if you just change your story about it, it's no longer stressful, then it wasn't actually stressful in the first place. You just thought it was. Right. So this like psychological stressors, the psychogenic stressors are the biggest things. 
Because it, if all it takes is a story change and then your physiology changes because of it, right? Like it shouldn't have been there in the first place. Exactly. If I go into like 30 degree water, that's actually stressful. Now I can still get, be better at dealing with it by, by really like I could, I should be able to actually manage that. But that's like, that's an actual reality stressor, mm-hmm. right? Or any other things. If I'm, if I'm trying to sprint uh, my hardest, that's an actual stressor. Or if I'm trying, if I'm getting chased by something, it's actually stressful. Right. So we got to d- distinguish between things that are actually stressful and then things that might be blown out of proportion that aren't actually as stressful as they should actually should be. Right. Yeah. And I think that story change brings up a, an interesting um, comparison. We have uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. So you had a trauma which created stress and now you have a disorder from that Yeah. versus post-traumatic growth, which yeah. is like this new vocabulary that you're starting to see now where it's like, okay, I had a major stressor, but that just made that, that allowed me to grow. It was uncomfortable, but through the discomfort, I've grown to be better at dealing with discomfort, better, more resilient versus just dwelling in the fact that, oh, I I had this trauma and, and I'm just going to dwell in it. I'm not saying, I'm not discounting the trauma that some people have experienced in their lives. I'm not saying that it's not important. But that's not how you get out of it is by ruminating on it. Right. But you have to it. you have to move forward. Like there's yeah. nowhere to move but forward. And if all you do is get stuck in one spot, ruminating and feeling sorry for and yourself. You identify as it. And then you identify as someone that has had these circumstances that no one else has. So you should be feeling sorry for yourself or other people should be feeling sorry for you. And you have this story that you you identify with this label as, oh, I have PTSD. It's like, okay, let's change the story. Yeah. Because there's actually zero benefit with dwelling in these negative emotions. Change the story. And then ideally we don't identify with any real story. I mean, it's helpful to change the story just to another story initially, but realize that stories are just stories. We're just (laughs) people, right? So you can tell yourself a good story, bad story, whatever, but it's like stripping away all the stories that is really kind of, uh, uh, because that's where you're just like, oh, I'm just, I'm just like, being who I, who I am. I'm just doing like, if you're just truly just kind of even keeled and being who you are, you shouldn't be, your life shouldn't be dictated by a story, whether it's good or bad. Like you don't have to identify as a marathon runner or even these things we might perceive as good things. Mm -hmm. Like I'm this like crazy healthy person who runs marathons and vegan and all this and this, that's not good either. Even if it's a better story than the other person who's actually sitting in their, their own. I agree. So, because we live in ourselves, the stories we tell ourselves limit what, what we feel we can do. Yeah. Right. And I think it's sometimes like, yeah, we just need to get out. You're right. Even a good story is, is still just a story you're telling yourself. Yeah. And it might be limiting you from being able to just appreciate that, you know, every minute of every day you're writing a new story. Yeah. And if you're, if you identify with a certain one, you might be limiting your ability to explore other stories. And can you find that place uh, consistently, where you do, you're not identified with any story. Can you at least know it's a thing? And can you actually be in that space for periods of time, all, all, like on a regular basis? Yeah. Because you can still have your story when you go into your workplace and stuff. And like we, we get into these roles and, and all of that. And that makes society run and stuff like that. There's a time and a place to be in it, like have a story. But um, you also got to realize that there's also a part of me that doesn't have any story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's it's key to have both of those things and just have a healthy relationship between the two. Um, because you can get too attached to, to even things that you think are good or whatever. Right? right. And okay. So on the topic of mental health, one thing I, that I had listed here and I w- really want to talk about is solitude. Mm-hmm. And I think 
the fact that, okay, it's good to have a, a specific mental training practice. So meditation could be cold exposure, could just, you know, be certain things that you do at certain times. But there's also something to be said where, like we talked about before, your life should be your mental health practice. And I think solitude is this time where there's you have no inputs from other minds. So you know, it has nothing to do with physical um, proximity to other people. You can be in a crowded uh, park and still be experiencing solitude. Or you can be alone, completely alone, listening to a podcast. You're not experiencing solitude. So it's, it's the absence of input from other minds. That can mm-hmm. be a book. That can be a podcast. That can be someone else speaking to you. It can be watching Netflix. Those are all pieces of input from other minds. And I think this essentially this systemic elimination of solitude, right? This, mm-hmm. this systemic deprivation of solitude. Now that we have these supercomputers of novelty and distraction in our pockets at all times, we have the opportunity to never take a minute with our own thoughts. So the grocery store lineup, you know, in the ancient days, you'd be like literally scoping out the savanna for where you want to hunt and have very little action happening in between the time where you're chasing an animal or hunting an animal. So you had a shitload of time to think to yourself and spend time with your thoughts. And now we don't. Even the grocery store lineup, even the toilet, like people sit on the toilet and they're looking at their phones. So there's no, the people simply aren't taking time. They're not even taking the time to even think with themselves. They're not even taking the time to to familiarize themselves with their own thoughts because there's a constant ability and constant compulsion to always be distracted and everything's so on a, on such a time scale too like you say like we have to be at this place for that time right so you don't take the like just think about the actual free time that a society 500 years ago would have had lots of it if you were going to meet somebody we've said this before like you would go to a place you don't if you weren't take, making you know keeping time of things you would just go to a place and then the other person would eventually show up but you'd probably have a lot of free time along the lines of sitting there, <laughs> waiting for them, walking there. Right. A lot of free time. And and if you think about our evolution, it's just like we've we've grown to this. Up until now, we've had a lot of time to just be in solitude. And, and that's now it's kind of been stripped away for us. So what has that done to us? I think that leads right into that, that the feeling that we're always at uneasy, stressed, anxious mm-hmm. and all of that. Yeah, because we're not actually dealing with the shit that's making us anxious. We're just de- and, and guess what? If you're anxious, well, looking at something on Instagram, looking at whatever butts and cars on Instagram might make you feel good. Right. Mm-hmm. Shoving a, a Twinkie in your mouth. Well, that was that was a little bit excessive, but eating a bag of chips might make you feel good. But it's not going to get rid of the deep sense of dis-ease that's eating away at you because you're not actually leaning in and encountering and taking time to acknowledge what the problem is. Yeah. And it's all these things that make us give us little bumps of dopamine to feel good temporarily. Distractions. Which means they're addictive. It's addicted. Mm-hmm. People are addicted to distraction. And there's yeah. so many opportunities. There's so much money behind the distractions that are that are available to us that, you know, I think solitude is a fundamental need for mental health. And when we strip away solitude, but we don't talk about that, we, you know, it's not, it's not really a surprise that the generation that's grown up with technology has the highest rates of like teen suicide, depression, anxiety than there has ever been before. And I don't think it's much of a surprise knowing that solitude deprivation is a serious threat to mental health. Yeah. So we need to talk about that. Like there's no chances to actually get out. Like uh, even for myself, 
like, or anybody who's listening, if there's a, let's say there's a trail or a mountain or some place that you could get to that's like, let's say an hour away, um, would you go by yourself to this place and spend half of a day in without anybody around and th- stuff like that? Like, I've thought about doing that like this week. Actually. And without your phone. Yeah. Like, would you do that just by yourself? And for a lot of people, myself included, it might even feel actually kind of weird to just go for like a half day into like... I think some people would be scary. They can't even yeah. drive 10 minutes without checking their phone. Or it might feel like, oh, that's not who what I would do or whatever. But like just that alone, we need like these... We need to give ourselves permission to get solitude too, right? It can't make... We can't be feel, feel weirded out by it. And, and right. you need to give yourself... You should be able to take a full day off and, and just people ask you, what are you doing today? Oh, I'm going... I'm doing this today. I'm going, uh, and they're like, alone? You're not going with anybody? Yeah, and that's what I'm doing today. Yeah, it should be culturally not only accepted, but actually be like, wow, good for you. Yeah. Like, go on a walkabout. Yeah. <laughs> they have that in ancient cultures or in indigenous cultures. They go on a walkabout. It was like time where they're, they're just going. I don't know when they're coming back, but they're yeah. dealing with their shit, and they're going to sort out their life by just being with themselves. Yeah, even things like traveling alone, a lot of people were getting more... Uh, finding more love for like my cousin loves to travel alone when he goes and it's not and a lot of people that don't understand they're like wait a minute you're not going with anybody you're not gonna have um aren't you gonna isn't it gonna be weird just being by yourself but that's just like a big dose of solitude yeah it's very you're interacting with people along the way but there's a lot of downtime there's a lot of time walking to and from places there's a lot of time just looking at stuff going on hikes um, so there's a lot of and then obviously you're going to get it doesn't mean that you're going to become like a loner or whatever you just come mm-hmm. back but it, it, you often learn a lot of stuff about yourself when you're on those those periods of time and it makes you a better person it does and i i find like when i like in 2019 i did a lot of traveling for tfc and when i came back from a trip of being alone the the interactions i had i appreciated so much more so like you know one of the side effects of spending time being comfortable spending time alone in solitude with your own thoughts makes you actually appreciate the social connections that you do have when you have them. So it doesn't yeah. actually, people think, Oh, you're, you're going to be a loner. Or you're going to isolate yourself. It's like, actually, no, being comfortable with your own thoughts and alone makes you appre- have a deeper appreciation for the connections you have and makes you yeah. tune in and be present way more. Exactly. You can actually think about your, like your relationships, even when you're in solitude and, and be like, mm-hmm. wow, I'm actually just going through the day-to-day autopilot with these relationships again. Now I'm going to appreciate them more when I go back to it. Exactly. So again, it's just that time that you give yourself a chance to explore these things. And I think mental illness is like the end stage breakdown of, you know, their mental illness is essentially the manifestation of symptoms indicating that there's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. When you're depressed, it's indicating there's a problem. You're either disconnected from the tribe or you're not dealing with things that are bottling up now and creating dis-ease, and we need to look at anxiety or depression as the signal, as the fire alarm going off that we need to reconnect with a mental health practice, that we need to reconnect yeah. with being comfortable, understanding our own thoughts and the status of our lives, you know, the quality of our relationships. Do I like what I do for work? Because guess what? If you don't even like what you do for work and you're not actively moving towards trying to figure out a better alternative, I'm not saying just you have to quit your job and then figure it out. It's like, if you're if you don't like what you do for work and yet you go there and do it every day, that's depressing. Mm-hmm. I would be depressed too. That's but that's a normal indicator to say you need to change something because something doesn't feel right. And until you deal with it, it's going to keep being there at a low level until you start to work towards change. Exactly. If you actively don't like it, that's not a good situation. And you can like there's some people who actually have jobs that you think that wouldn't be enjoyable, but they actually 
not necessarily enjoy, but they're, they, that's their thing. That's their practice, right? They mm-hmm. might be like weaving baskets or something or like making, but they're going to try and weed the best baskets yeah, ever. Or that's, they just get into the flow and that's their thing. Um, mm-hmm. And it actually makes them nice and calm and they're very happy and, and uh, they, have, they have purpose in that, even if it's something very mundane or you might consider it mundane. So it, yeah, but if you're actively going to a place and you, and you're actively disliking it, then it's time to look at it. Yeah, and again, it might be a matter of temporary reframing until you can change it. Right. Um, but then again, like if it's really something, you you might have to actually do some change there. Yeah, and maybe you just have saying. to reconnect with finding joy in what you're doing. Maybe you're yeah. making the decision that you don't yeah. like what you're doing. And yeah. sometimes it's just, well, I'm just going to go in with a better attitude and look for things to enjoy in what I do every day. Yeah, what do I like about it? And then like, how could I make it even slightly better? Or right. how can I learn to... And then you might actually... Yeah, find a silver lining in what you're doing every day and actually learn to like it better. So that's a, that's another thing. Because if you don't like your life, you can either create a different life or you can change the way you think of your life to enjoy the life you have. Yeah. Right? Like just instead of wanting more things, just desire the things you have. Because then you're like, oh shit, I have everything I want. Mm-hmm. You just sometimes you have to change what you want or the way you think of something and not actually change it. Right? And it's like... Yeah, but that all has to do with your mental capacity to reframe how how you think of things, right? Mm. To to reinforce positive thinking, to um, look for things that bring you joy and do them more frequently. Find the things, you know, reflect on the things that don't bring you joy, that make you unhappy, and do less of those. Or think, why do I? Th- why does that make me unhappy? Well, it's just because I'm thinking of it in this way. If I change the way I think of it, that actually doesn't make me unhappy anymore. So and all, all you're just yeah. listing all of the work that needs to be done, and this right. is all of that. That's what the whole practice is: is the actual thinking of all the work that, or thinking of all this stuff. A lot of people yep. don't think of the, all the things you just listed. Sometimes you just need to take time with your thoughts to just like connect the dots. Mm-hmm. That's all that. That's sometimes all that's needed to ch- to completely shift. You know the way you think about life, exactly. and your mood, and your emotions. One thing I'll note on that though, just finish that stream of thoughts is that your your biology does affect your psychology and vice versa Mm -hmm. so like yeah if you're it's all it's a it's a holistic approach right right? if you're you can't there's only a certain point if you're if you're physically unhealthy and you're and you eat a terrible diet and you don't move and you're don't sleep smoke and you drink alcohol every night and you don't sleep and and all that there's only so far you can take like your positive thoughts right um so it's like a whole it's it's the it's the overall game that we need to look at here as well yep and it's small changes and figuring out what you have the potential to change and i think you know like moving forward with tfc we're going to try and give people options for little things that they can start to implement so mm-hmm. maybe that's a good way to finish uh this podcast off is how does one go from having zero mental training practice to beginning one and, you know, the one, cause I've had a couple of people ask me like, how do I start meditating? Or I've tried to meditate and it didn't work. And I, I've, the only way that I can ex- give people, you know, some sort of guidance is because I've gone through the same shit. I spent like over a year trying to have a daily meditation practice and failing miserably until I reframed what meditation was. And I think a good way to begin a mental training practice is a one minute daily meditation one yeah. minute 60 seconds mm-hmm. and some people are like well that's not gonna do anything like i gotta do it for 20 minutes right is it, there's no minimum threshold like from zero meditation to 10 seconds of meditation is a massive increase from zero to one 
is huge. The benefits are massive. And as you increase that, when you go from one to two, you get an increase in benefits, but it's nowhere near the benefit of zero to one. So starting with a one minute meditation practice, and I really like the three, four, five every day, sit down every day. And one thing I find helpful is to, you know, when, when I think when you say tune into the breath, people don't know what that means. They're like, I, I just breathe. I do it to stay alive. I, I, what do you mean? Think of the breath. So you have to give people a template of what that even means. And the three, four, five breath is breathe in for three seconds, hold for four, breathe out for five. And having to actually keep count is pretty difficult for some people initially, like in one, in two, in three, hold one, hold two, blah, 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 all the way to, so that that's 12 seconds. You do it five times. It's a minute. Yeah. And just that is a really good that's gateway little, exactly. to starting it. And I think, you know, I've been nerding out on behavior design because we want to offer these sessions later on these one-on-one sessions. But one thing in behavior design is like you, there's three kind of elements that contribute to behavior. So number one is the motivation. So you have to understand why you're doing it because you actually have to be motivated to want to do that behavior. The second one is the ability. Well, if you're trying to meditate for 20 minutes from doing nothing, you have, you're have you not going to have an ability to do that. So starting with a minute is really powerful. And then the, the last element is a prompt. So it's very helpful. If someone just says, I'm going to try and meditate and I'm only going to do a minute because I can do a minute, that's fine. And I'm really motivated because I know it's important. If they don't know where they're putting it in their day and they're just trying to find time, guess what? You're probably going to forget. So put it with something you automatically do every day. And that anchor, that prompt is extremely powerful. So maybe it's after I brush my teeth, I'm going to meditate for one minute because you brush your teeth every day, hopefully. Or after I wake up, I'm going to meditate or before I go to bed, like pair it with something you do every day that's consistent in your life. And I think journaling is really powerful too, because it allows you to see how many days in a row you did it. Even if it's just writing one line, didn't meditate, didn't meditate today. I forgot. So tomorrow I got to be better at remembering. I got to reinforce the fact that after I brush my teeth, I meditate for a minute. And I think just, you can literally see a streak develop where like, oh shit, I just, I meditated for a minute, seven days in a row. I'm doing really good. And that positive emotion of seeing success is what makes you want to continue doing it. Mm-hmm. So I think you know, what would be your best advice for someone that's like, I need to do something to work on my mental health? Where should I start? So I think we've talked about the meditation aspect. Um, I think if you can choose a few, for me, I really also like doing um, micro dose, like doses of stressful situations and see how I respond. <laughs> say a different yeah. kind of micro yeah. <laughs> uh, So like for the, the cold showers or the cold yeah, ex- tubs or the cold exposure of any kind, you can use heat too for this or whatever. But if you can, it doesn't have to be every day, but uh, if you can put yourself in the form of, like, I, I can, like, like, I already talked about the cold water. Cold water is an actual stressor. I know it. Um, your physiology thinks it. Uh, so so you can go in it and see how you respond. And if you can kind of override that stress response for a period of time, that's that mental training uh, as well. So between that stimulus and response, um, you can kind of just like, again, use your breath for that too. But if I start breathing and I get myself calm again and, and I'd be like, this is not actually that bad. I can learn from that situation too. So find stressors in your life that are like very concrete stressors, like physical, ideally, um, like elemental. And then, uh, yeah, see how you respond to them and then get better at responding to them over time. I think one other one that I chat with someone about the other day is, the next time you have a compulsion to to pull your phone out when you're when there's like a dead dead one minute right you're in the grocery store lineup 
and there's someone in front of you checking out and you so you have like 60 seconds until you have to interact with the with the clerk the next time you get a compulsion to pull your phone out don't yeah try and reduce that and see what goes through your mind like what do you think of when that happens you're not you're not distracting yourself so now you're gonna you're gonna immediately have this little tiny buffer zone to take a couple deep breaths or to just see what goes through your brain like, yeah. are you thinking of something you forgot, something you got to do later in the day? That's okay. Don't fight it. Just go. be like, oh, I'm thinking of something that I, I didn't even know I was thinking of, but maybe that was causing me a little bit of a weird feeling because I, I was scared I was going to forget it. So that's mental training. That's so mental training. That's the practice. And and it can come in so many different forms um, and it can come through your movement and things like that too. But that's the mental training. It's the, it's not just going with your autopilot every day, especially if you don't like your autopilot. And right. that's the biggest thing. And it's like for mental uh, health issues, like by definition, we don't necessarily like our autopilot right now, right? Mm-hmm. We're doing things that we like compulsions, addictions, and, and doing behaviors that we don't necessarily, they aren't serving us right now because we're in a situation. Exactly. And I just think people don't know how to change them. That's yeah. where, you know, this, you know, through beam Tribe, we're going to create content where it's like, here are tiny micro elements that you can implement that, that are each in their, in their own, our mental health practice elements. So like these are all little, little snacks of mental training and, and try them, like just experiment them, experiment with them by applying them, seeing what happens. Did it work for you? Was it easy? Was it hard? What did it, did it work for you? Did you feel good after doing it? And I think just giving people options because we're not taught these little options in high school. We're not, there's not many avenues for people to learn this. So giving people options and helping them understand how to design these behaviors in their life by placing them by, by essentially understanding a framework behind why we do what we do and helping them essentially put a stop in their autopilot and just be a little, just think a little bit more about what they're doing instead of just doing and uh finding that even even keeled space yeah it's so i mean there's such a big biggest problems or biggest opportunities there's a big mental health problem so there's a massive opportunity to help people understand uh, kind of connect with a sense of purpose of why they should care about mental training and also um you know offer them a, a menu of items so that they can find which ones resonate with them and they get the best results from so anyway we hope that podcast helps clear up um you know what is mental health what is the value behind mental training uh as a parallel to physical training it's just as important it's probably more important because as a foundation for just being able to live a life that you enjoy um and you know whether it's reframing or cold exposure or a meditation practice or reinforcing positive thinking with whatever happens to you um you know these are all things that like you said, you turn your life into your mental training practice. And if you're mindful of it and you just, it's not about being perfect. It's literally just about making tiny little improvements every single day, which compound into massive changes. So hopefully that cleared up uh, an understanding of mental training and the value behind it. And thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.